Hello and welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. We're having our usual walk through the hills today and we've been wandering away up here and thinking about what what podcast to do today. So I'm just simply going to ask, well, so what's on your mind today, Dr. Yates? We'll leap off from there. Yeah, more things than is good for me. <laughs> yeah, me too. As, as, as you know, I'm trying to press on with my series on fascism and the big question how fascist are we because <laughs> um, we definitely the we def- answer hints quite a lot quite a lot yeah and uh, the other series on uh, rationality and irrationality and the roles that they are playing in our current uh, situation and it's it's kind of quite sticky, and I, th- I think we've raised our standards a bit, you know, and we, we we're getting more picky, and we've picked the the low hanging fruit, uh, which explains why the we have been a bit kind of slow getting them out, getting the podcast out. So, uh, but bear with us, we are working uh, on on this stuff pretty constantly. So. It's sort of in that vein that yesterday I started watching a a series of four YouTube videos by Adam Curtis called The Century of the Self and they they were made for the BBC, they're about 50 minutes each and I think I'm about halfway through the third one and Curtis traces the history of public relations and propaganda and the influence of Freud and particularly Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays, and Freud's daughter, Anna Freud, on American society from the 20s through, well, I've got to the 50s at the moment. And it's, it was kind of, it was a bit like a splash of cold water in your face watching this stuff. It's all stuff that I knew and know. It's an area I know pretty well. And, but it's like seeing... This material in one place. So I feel as though I can kind of move forward with it. I was feeling that it was a bit like swimming in treacle, trying to turn some of this material into a podcast or into podcasts. So that's what's on my mind really this morning. Well, it's really important stuff to know about, yeah. isn't it? it, it yeah, it's absolutely, and I can recommend that you go to YouTube. Um, type in the, the, the put a link in the description uh, po- possibly this. yeah we'll, call we'll, the, we'll put one in if we can yeah the century of the self and watch it I mean they are TV documentaries they they sort of work within that genre but they, for what they are they're very good and it, what it underscores is The old mantra that I keep coming out with, if you control information, you control everything. Or if you like, if you control people's minds. If you are able to structure the personalities and psyches of the citizenry, you will control society in whatever direction you feel like uh, taking it in. And so I recommend that you watch this, and you will 
encounter some material that I've talked about uh, quite a bit. I think you, you'll notice I mentioned Bernays quite a lot. My plan in the next fascism podcast is to go into the Freudian idea of the death instinct and to explore this characterisation of fascism from a psychological point of view as the weaponisation of the death instinct. And it's uphill. <laughs> you can hear us breathing, it's uphill. But why I kind of got stuck there is because. Do you want to go in panorama? Do you want to go in panorama? Okay. Oh, that's right. It's because of the controversies surrounding Freudianism. I mean, Freud himself came out with about three or four different versions of his, his ideas. And later in his life he was doing what we call metapsychology. Well, not even later in his life, even from quite early on, he was called metapsychology, which he kind of try and apply his ideas to thinking about society and the structure of society and the development of society over, over, over time, over the ages. So there isn't even like there isn't one Freud, but then of course you've got the the, the split-offs from Freud, you know, Adler with his uh, ideas of will to power, Anna Freud, Melanie Klein with the psychoanalysis of children, Jung of course with his collective unconscious and his his, his kind of mysticism and interest in Eastern philosophy and so forth and alchemy. And Wilhelm Reich, who Anna Freud, according to um, Adam Curtis, basically destroyed, he destroyed his reputation. And Wilhelm Reich, with his return to the original somatic ideas, the importance of the body, that Freud started out with but abandoned in favour of language and talking. I suppose these days Lacan is sort of quite big, the French Freud with his struct structuralism and a huge concern for the relationship between the unconscious and language, amongst other things. And somebody like Eric Fromm, but both Fromm and Reich, Reich who the Freudians counter hate, and Fromm who I think was a bit more mainstream psychoanalysis, apart from the fact that he was a Marxist and so would have been quite in antipathy with somebody like Bernays who basically worked for the American government and for the American corporations by inventing modern advertising by inventing Carry on. Uh, pu pu uh, pu public relations which is the kind of polite term he gave for what was still basically propaganda uh, other than against somebody like Fromm who's like a Marxist you know and wanted to 
replace capitalism as the organising economic structure of society. So what that's all about is me explaining the difficulty of trying to go forward in a nice clear way in an accessible podcast about this weaponisation of the death instinct as a feature of fascism. And this is a labyrinth in which one could spend many years circling. Even if you've got quite a wide knowledge of the field, which which I do have, I've kind of read most of this stuff and pondered it for a long time. So that's where I, that's where I'm where I'm at. And I suppose if one wanted to simplify it, you could just say, well, what is the nature of uh, Freud's explanation? of the human being and the human being's place in society. Or, or more accurately, what is the nature of his explanations? Because there's more than one. And what, what is their epistemological status? Are they true? Are they the kind of thing that can be true? Or are they just stories? And if they're just stories, what, what are we doing? using them is it all right to use stories so you can see where this leads obviously now this overlaps with with uh, the uh, the notions that i need to be considering in my next podcast uh, on reason i mean can we actually reason about things can we actually be rational about things without availing ourselves of of stories or hermeneutics if you want to get really posh but stories how legitimate is it, how epistemologically sound is it to actually use psychoanalysis? Now a lot of philosophers haven't really worried about that, you know. Marcuse, uh, Reich, who I suppose yeah, you could describe as a kind of philosopher. Ricoeur, Paul Ricoeur, who, who made a good deal of the idea of the life instinct and the death instinct. And just many, many, many others. But of course you have Wittgenstein, whose sister was psychoanalysed by Freud himself. He was very sniffy about it. He, he kind of said, well, dream analysis. You can kind of make any theory fit, or at least a, a, quite a large number of theories. If, you, if all you need is fit, all you need is for them to fit, to, to sound plausible in their explanation of the dream. But well, you can. You, why Freud's? You know why? You can just you can invent any number, and they're equally coherent. And of course, this is why Ad, Ad, Adler arises, and Jung arises, and Reich arises, and uh, and the various you know and object relations, and all the rest of it. And he's got a point. He's got a point. And Heidegger, the other. A big knob of uh, 20th century philosophy uh, had similar misgivings and he, he thought that the, the notion of the unconscious was somewhat vague you know and, and it could fulfill some kind of explanatory function but in the same way as phlogiston did in, 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 in the days before the full understanding of the physics of heat and uh, all the rest of it
and in fact uh, Heidegger, I don't know how wittingly he did this, but created a whole school of existential psychotherapy which dispenses with the notion of the, the unconscious and just and, and deals solely with what we can identify phenomenologically actually what we find, what we experience in the moment it's kind of a, uh, a similar take on psychotherapy that you're finding gestalt psychotherapy I mean Heidegger's thing was after the war because he was a Nazi he was denazified by the Americans and part of that was they wouldn't let him teach in the university fair enough you know he had to take his uh, he had to do his porridge, you know. Have a bit of a slap on the wrist for being uh, a Nazi, really. Absolutely, absolutely, you know, and uh, at the very least. Yeah, and so what he did was he travelled to Switzerland uh, on on a regular basis to give seminars to mostly Freudian psychotherapists and psychiatrists in Switzerland, and we would do seminars with them on 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 his approach to people's mental states that didn't involve and deliberately repudiated the notion of the unconscious. Because a lot of these people he was talking to were, were psychoanalysts, Freudians, of some variety, and therefore fully uh, on board with the notion of the unconscious. And he kind of teased this away from quite a good number of them. And those seminars actually were documented. It's called the Zolicon Seminars. And I think if you're going to read some Heidegger, Yourself, instead of giving yourself a headache with being and time, or the four volumes on Nietzsche, which are fairly readable, to be honest with you. But the Zolicon seminars uh, are fascinating, especially if you have got a question mark hovering over psychoanalysis. So there's the kind of behind, behind this notion of wanting to do a short 40-minute podcast about... Uh, the mobilisation of the death, the, the death instinct as, as a part of the activity of fascists. There's lurking this vast hinterland of competing ideas and deep epistemological puzzles and, and the objections of a, cu- a couple of the most able philosophers of the 20th century. And uh, Heidegger's efforts to get psychiatrists to give up the idea of the unconscious. <laughs> So, and this, this is huge, I think, well, I just want to do 30 or 40 minutes, and da 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 But it takes 30 or 40 years to do the research. Well, there is, there's, <laughs> I think I read uh, the Interpretation of Dreams when I was about 19 or 20. So that would have been in, like, the 1960... When was it? When was I? Well, I was 20 in 1968. So that's when I sort of read the Interpretation of Dreams. <laughs> wow. So. You just you've come from another era, don't you? I do, yeah. So, and I've been, I've been dipping in and out of this stuff uh, ever since. So, yeah. So, what's that now? It's 2021. It's quite a long time, isn't it? <laughs> quite a long time, yeah. <laughs> it's like 50 years, you know. 50 years of... of, of and you still haven't finished doing the research. Back baggage, you know. Yeah. Because I'm not sure what, to, to, to be frank with you, I, I think 
it's right that what Freud was dealing with, and Wittgenstein's perfectly right, the stories that we've got this problem of underdetermination, which if you listen to these podcasts, you'll, you'll see it's something I kind of hit on again and again and again and again. But when you have large data sets or complex data sets, you can interpret in in almost infinite number of ways with equal coherence. And even when the data sets are very large, with equal fealty to the the data itself. You don't have to tell any lies to produce different interpretations. I mean, Freud himself actually described his own metapsychology, things like... Uh, Moses and monotheism and totem and taboo where he's trying to uh, apply psychoanalytic understanding to some anthropological findings of uh, tribes, <laughs> tribal people, you know. Um, but he said these things are just slow stories. That's what they are, just slow stories. Oh look, yeah. our guy. It's a pity, isn't it? Been washed away and hit the footpath down there. So that's where I'm at with it, in case anybody thinks I just throw these things off. (laughs) (laughs) What was the most um, shocking or striking thing in the documentaries you're watching this morning? Well... the power of psychiatrists in, in the 1950s and there was one psychiatrist who was called what was he called I can't remember the guy's name you know just terrible with names but he was the head of the American Psychiatric Association and the government under Eisenhower and uh, in fact American governments since the since the 20s with Bernays in the lead all the way up into the 50s we're very, very keen on uh, structuring the, the thought and feeling of the American citizenry in order to have a docile population. And they, 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 they uh, subscribed to psychoanalysis, the idea being that there were some very dark forces in people that had to be controlled, sexuality, aggression, that we had to control them. Otherwise, they could burst out, as they did in in the in the thirties and forties in in Germany, in fascism, in actually existing Nazism. So there's that idea floating around. And there's one psychiatrist, and his idea was it's, instead of trying to restructure people's psyches with psychoanalysis, he's talking. Said, let's just wipe their brains clean. Let's just wipe them completely clean, and then reform them in 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 a uh, a fashion that suits us. Uh. And so, w- what he did, he had he had people at his kind of research institute somewhere out in the in the sticks in America, and he would give them repeated doses of ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, sometimes many times a day. Were these people volunteers? I, I think they were like mental patients and so he kind of used them as... Guinea e- pigs? E- yeah, guinea pigs. Yes. Even though they might have come forward because they were unhappy. 
and, and that was in combination with all kinds of drugs, including LSD. Imagine being subjected to, uh, you know, multiple uh, electroconvulsive shock therapies whilst on massive doses of oh LSD. Oh my God! And he'd do that for weeks to these people. And they actually interviewed in the programme a, a, a woman who, who had been through this, and she said, I have no recollection of, of it happening to me. I know it happened to me because I was told, but I can't remember, and I have no recollection of any part of my life before that time. Shit! And she was like in her 20s or 30s or something at the time. Yeah. And she said, I just, I'm just, uh, and they tried to create me as a different person, you know. And uh, did she mention how she felt about that? Was she happy after all? I mean, if she were, I if they know. weren't because they were unhappy. Well, it was only it was only like a it was only like a little snippet. She seemed she seemed sort of all right, you know. Mm. But uh, 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 Curtis says, well, it didn't work. It was a complete disaster. All it did was produce loads of people with with, with memory loss, you know. <laughs> what a surprise! But what's yeah. shocking about that is is the. The, the, the arrogance of, of science that, that can display sometimes science inverted commas and the, 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 the horrendous power of psychiatrists I mean this in the context of Adam Curtis showing over the four episodes just the degree of psycho psycho the degree of psychological manipulation that goes on in societies and how this was consciously adopted in America from the 1920s onwards. According to different theories at different times, you know, there was a backlash against Freud at some point, you know, it, which said that um, rather than the deep internal and dark and hidden parts of the human being being rather uh, animalistic, and, and mostly sort of a bit, a bit evil, if not controlled, which was Anna Freud's notion, that you have to control it. And, uh, and you have to get people to conform so that their egos are strong enough to face down these dark forces. So rather than that, the idea came to the fore a bit later on, that actually human beings were like good inside, not dark inside. And their problems were caused by repressing their emotions and their instincts and their urges and their desires. And that we needed to help people to get those out. So out of that you got things like Gestalt therapy and encounter groups and Est Earhart seminar training. You have like people locked in a room for a weekend screaming their lungs out, you know, with their their kind of primal their primal traumas are being born and daddy not loving them and shit shit shit. So there was a movement that way. But all of it, you have to remember all of this is in the context. Again, this is shocking. Of how can we make money out of this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, Bernays worked for every kind of corporation, and he worked for the CIA, and uh, worked for General Motors, and worked for the government, and all the rest of it. And, it, and uh, he helped the government to sell the invasion of Guatemala to rescue the, uh, the uh, an American corporation that grew bananas um, that had been nationalised by the, the socialist leader. We can get through that. Anyway, uh, ban nationalised. Yeah, they nationalised the banana industry, and the Americans didn't like it because it was an American corporation. So Bernays helped them to sell, to sell this kind of uh, moderate socialist leader as a communist in league with Moscow, who was a, a dire threat to America.
how the Americans bomb the shit out of them as, as they're doing. Um, but I sold it to the American public. Some people think it's like a benign character. I, f I find not, you know. Mm. And there is excuses for propaganda that it can do good, uh, which, which is what he announces in his book, Propaganda of 1928. Uh, uh, just fucking whitewash, you know, and bollocks, mm. and fuck him, <laughs> you know. Well, so, the more I find out about him, I don't like him much. No. So, so all, all that is very, is very shocking, because, I mean, one knows, one knows. I'm, in fact, you know, this is what I keep saying. That seems to be where my attention is lighting all the time, is like information and control of people through controlling their minds. And... But nevertheless, to see it done in that sort of stark form, I mean, I suppose Adam Curtis is able to sort of distill it down into sort of pithy phrases and short epigrams. I mean, at the expense of getting into the detail of this stuff. But of course, that's what you do if you're going to do if you're going to do a documentary for the BBC in 50 minutes but he does a good job of that and again I'll just repeat myself here I recommend watch it just type into YouTube the century of the self I mean the, the bit that I've got to now I'm halfway through the third third one before you told me to put my shoes on and come out <laughs> um, <laughs> I do yeah order you about don't I a bit yeah <laughs> it's good for me anyway he goes he's, he's going on about how, how, how politics and all the political movements of the 60s, you know, mass movements and the demonstrations and, and the anti-war de demos and the, the, the backlash of the, of the, the violent American police and, and mi the military and the government, the agents of the government. So it got replaced by, we can't change society, it's too powerful, it's too well tooled up, too well armed. So we'll change ourselves and that'll change society. So you've got the whole kind of like, you know, the encounter groove, spirituality, you know, the idea that you improve yourself. So try to have a revolution, improve yourself, <laughs> sort yourself out. Mm. And how big this, this caught on. And there's a, there's a logic to it. But then it kind of depends on you having enough money and leisure to be able to do that shit, you know. And then, of course, America being America, they turned it into a commodity and sold it. That is also shocking. Yeah. I've spent the last 15 years railing against the commodification of uh, gen genuine spirituality. How it's just been turned into a product that we have a spiritual supermarket. And it seems nothing is immune from that, that revolting to style. And that's kind of depressing. Or it would be if you let it, as well. So I'm kind of that, that's where I'm at with with everything on that kind of corner of my uh, obsessions and concerns. Because <laughs> what I've got to do is pare it down, isn't it? At the same time, it's not losing anything, anything vital, and giving pointers. So anybody who wants to study, they got some direction. Now what I thought I would do is, I thought I'd get Eric Fromm's uh, Fear of Freedom, which he wrote during the war, and which was, or is, an analysis of the 
pathology of, of, of Nazis, of prominent Nazis, of fanatical Nazis. What exactly is going on in their bloody heads, you know? Have you read that one before? I've read it dozens of times. Yeah. So, uh, just in a nutshell, what, what is it? It what is, is going on in their uh, strange well, little heads. Well, it goes into a bit of detail. It's a relatively short book, written in the fort, in, in written actually during the war. He escaped to America. I don't know whether he went to London first or anywhere, but he certainly escaped because he's a Jew and a communist. They were going to kill him. So he went, you know, but he's also a practicing psychoanalyst. And it's, it's using psychoanalytic understanding, Freudian, pretty well straight Freudian understanding of the, the human being. So he, he does have a concept of the unconscious and, and giving an analysis, an analysis of the type of person who would become a fanatical Nazi at various levels in the, in the party or in the movement as well. So what kind of person? Well, it's, it's, there are different types, you know. I mean, there's your necrophiliacs and and uh, uh, sadists, sadomasochists, and people fueled by sort of a kind of resentment and all this kind White of stuff. White supremacists. Well, it's they're all racists. Yeah. But it's 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 otherisation is what's going going on there, you know. Oh, this is sounding very familiar. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you read that and then think about what's been going on around us, it gives you the fucking shivers. Mm. You know, not in a nice way. But From actually wrote a much bigger book called The Anatomy of Human Destructiveness, in which, he, which his detail is phenomenal. There's case studies of like Hitler, Himmler, Goering, and so forth. Yeah. And uh, it's a big fat book, that, The Anatomy of Human Destructiveness. I don't have a copy. I've got a copy of... Um, Fear of freedom, and I think I could kind of use that as the basis for a weaponisation of a death instinct idea or, or some kind of exploration of where we can go with, with, with the notion that, that, that fascism is a pathology, right? Mm -hmm. The notion that fascism is a pathology. Just for the wind. Yeah. And of course, the say other. Last, sorry, say that last sentence again. The, the notion that I could use I could use the fear of freedom to say um, to explore what opens up when we regard fascism as a pathology, and use some psychoanalytic understanding to one of the many psychoanalytic understandings to to approach that task. The other person I might want to use would be Wilhelm Reich, the mass psychology of fascism. Bearing in mind that Reich was thrown out of the psychoanalytic society by uh, Anna Freud, who was very conservative. And Reich was a Marxist, <laughs> another Marxist, you know. So, and also very, very keen on sex, and Anna Freud never had any. She got <laughs> psychoanalyzed by her father. And died a virgin, apparently. So. Wow. So the his, uh, the father's uh, psychoanalyst. Uh, 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 so the uh, the father's uh, psychoanalyst treatments didn't really work that well. Well, if you if you think that being sexually active is like a necessary sign of, um, <laughs> what would you call it? 
Well, but, to be a bit of a whole human being, maybe. Psychological, psychological health. I mean, unless yeah. she really was asexual, which in case, you know, fair enough. Yeah. But some, she died gagging for it. That's a bit of a shame, isn't it? It is, yeah. She seems sort of quite mixed up, you know, and, um, but very powerful and forceful and powerful in the organisation. Freud created an empire, you know. But Wilhelm Reich, uh, the mass psychology of fascism, would be a good read. I don't actually have a copy of that, and I don't know how far I want to... I've read all of his stuff and uh, followed through on his ideas and all the rest of it. Very, very interesting character. Went quite mad in the end. So there's some material there, maybe. So that, that, that's where I'm at with trying to figure out how to do this 40-minute podcast on the weaponisation of the death instinct. So any it's minute now, it sounds like any minute now. <laughs> it feels like it feels like a, like a boil coming to a head, you know. Because there's a part of me wants to say. Wittgenstein is right, Heidegger is right, you know, bollocks to Freudianism, you know. <laughs> anyway, we've uh, got down to the town now, we're walking uh, across the harbour, there's a secret path that um, I think only Barmuthians know about, yeah. that you can only access at low tide, which means that you don't have to, you can miss out a little bit of the road and uh, not walk past um, anyone who may be a little bit COVID-y. Uh, so well, like we're, we're having, that's why all the crunching, we're just walking across the stones now, but we're just about to yeah. get into the town. So we will sign off. So I hope you're, uh, you're all okay and you're, you're pulling through with all this horrible stuff that's going on. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> Make knowledge great again.